I mean, it's so amazing to see a group of people, and, 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 and if you know a little bit about their story, who've been such, through such difficulty, such tragedy and disappointment, and to see God do something in that location, something new, to see him healing people, is incredible to see what God is doing there. So it's so cool, so wonderful, and it was so funny. Like, my whole family went with me last Sunday. And so we're all walking into church, and you know, it is a beautiful little steeple, you know, steepled church, beautiful five acres, you know, and, and so my youngest son, Owen, he's nine, youngest of five, and we're walking in, and, and he's walking in with his mom, and he walks in, and he's like, wow, this is awesome. And he looks at his mom, and he says, I've never been to a real church. It was so, it was so amazing. Of course, I was thinking about it. No, he's really never been to an actual church in his life. He can't remember. We have church and movie theaters in uh, the back end of a commercial office building. And uh, wherever we go, we have church. So anyway, it was really fun and really wonderful. But I'm, I'm really happy to be back with you today. All right, so get your Bibles out and turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. As you know, we've been in a series called Love Where You Live. Hi, Isaac. It's good to see you. Welcome home. Spring break. Awesome. Uh, so, so we've been in this series called Love Where You Live. And we're really revisiting this series from last fall. Because last fall we launched into this along with over 300 other churches in the Austin area. Over 300 churches profiling this idea that what we need to do is obey Jesus and the great commandment. The great commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to say that with me. Love your neighbor as yourself. Come on, one more time, everybody together. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we're doing this uh, because, and we're repeating it, and we're kind of, we're kind of con continuing the series every semester for a while because we're trying to change something in our city. You, you know, of course, that it's hard for people very often to be attentive to their neighbors. People are so busy. People are kind of closed off a lot of times consumed with their career, they're working hard all the time, and so we don't take time to meet our neighbors or interact with them very much, and when we do, it's just kind of a passing glance or a wave. But God's people have an extra incentive, and I think a conviction, to be the kind of people who will love their neighbors well. That within the very relationship of being a neighbor, of the, in the very relationship of living near someone, that your life has purpose and meaning in proximity to the people that you live among. And that the soil of neighboring is where the gospel comes alive. And where the, the truth of God's word and the grace that he has in your life comes out and spills over into their lives. And we have to, and, and, and what we found through study and through some, some polling that, that was done um, a few years ago is that largely Christians do not share their faith. They're afraid. They're afraid even to be identified as a Christian. They have a complex. 
The reason they have a complex is because of the prevailing cultural distinctive that Christians hold right now. And so they don't want anybody to think poorly of them. And so there's a, there's a challenge here. And so we want to not just talk about the Bible and then leave out here and, and go home and do your normal thing. We want to change our behavior as God's people. We want to become more attentive to the people around us. We want to become the people that in our city that we love where we live. We love where we live. And we're not talking about doing anything crazy uh, by, by, by sharing your faith. Actually, we're not even talking about sharing our faith first. We're talking really about just being a good neighbor, <laughs> just being nice, just being kind to people. And we're talking about all kinds of things to do to create engagement, everything from barbecues to, to dealing with neighborhood safety on National Night Out or, or a park project and cleaning up a space or going to a, a school and, and rallying the neighbors to care for their own neighborhood, just to be encouraging, just to connect, just to engage. And we have a whole bunch of things that we want to recommend to you on our website at onechapel.com. If you're wondering how can, I, how can I do this well, what kind of resources do, do we have, you can look at onechapel.com and there's a neighboring page right there. So write it down on your message notes, onechapel.com, go see what's there. Last week, of course, we talked about taking the ride of your life and taking an adventure and just going where God wants you to go. And in fact, this very week as I was preparing for this message, I had a moment, a surprise moment where my next door neighbor came over to my house. I'd just driven in the driveway and she came over and, and it was raining. And so I said, here, come on in, come on in. And she came in and, uh, and, and, and my wife was there and we, we, we stood for a few minutes and she started saying, now I understand you guys had some plumbing problems. Right, and we did. We had, I mean, we had it all. We had stuff coming up in the bathtub, and it was nasty. We had to drill through our foundation one time and fix a certain thing, and then after we fixed that, it still kept happening, and we had to have a second group of guys tunnel underneath our house and fix a bunch of stuff under the foundation. It was awful. It was horrible. It took forever and cost lots of money. So she came over, and she said, I've, I think I have plumbing problems under my foundation. And she started telling us about it, how she had a guy come out and try to fix it. And he said, he just told her, we can't fix this. Call your insurance company. It's bad. And she, she started telling us about it. She started crying. And she started breaking down right in front of us. And she's a single mom. She's a teacher. She's really a, a, a sweet person. But it is the first time that we have ever broken the barrier with her. The first time that we actually could break the barrier of need. Like we understand that, that, that some of the needs she may have, but, but she's never shared them with us, even though we've had lots of conversation. And so there was a, a, a moment, an opening, and we, we just, we, we sat her down and, and kind of encouraged her and said, look, it's, it, you, you can skip a whole bunch of steps that we, that we took. And we started instructing her, here's what you do, and don't call these guys, call these guys, and, and here's how it should work, all right? And then after she left, she was just so much better, and she was so grateful, and, and we took another step. And I think <clears throat> Jesus wants all of us to be willing to break through some barriers with the people around us. 
And that's what this passage is about in John chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 4. Let's go there now. Now we had, he had, gone, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sukkar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. The first big idea I want you to see here today is like Jesus, we must boldly break the barriers of prejudice. We must boldly break the barriers of prejudice that paralyze us. This is a conversation that some say should never have happened because this woman had three strikes against her. Her ethnicity, her gender, and her character. If you, if you take the first one, her ethnicity, she was a Samaritan. Now you understand that Samaritans were half Jews or part Jews. And when the God's people went into captivity, when they were conquered by another nation, the, the strategy for disrupting and conquering was to take though that conquered people and put it among five other people groups and split them all up and cause them to intermarry and intermingle. And therefore, they would destroy the identity of a group of people. And they tried to do this to God's people. And some of them held on to their Jewish roots and Jewish faith. But they didn't have all the Torah and they didn't have the, some of the ideas of temple worship. And so a Samaritan was a half-breed in the Jewish mind. And, the, and, and the, the Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other. I mean, you can get some idea of this when you look at our political culture right now and what's going on. It seems like every night on the news, the Republicans and Democrats, they hate one another. They hate each other. They, they hate themselves. It's like they're fighting amongst themselves. It's like this crazy thing where there's such, um, there seems to be in our society even, such hatred for people who are different than us. And so her ethnicity was a barrier. Secondly, her gender was a barrier. In those days, women were not treated with respect. They did not have the kind of equality that women experience today in our culture. And so they were, they were mistreated and there were certain rules about who could talk to who and when. In fact, even Jesus, as a rabbi, right, was violating some rabbinical traditions. One rabbinical tradition said, let no one talk with a woman on the streets, not even with his wife. Gentlemen, don't get any ideas. Those of you that are married, that was supposed to be funny. Didn't work in this service. One of them said a sect of the Pharisees would shut their eyes when a woman, when, whenever they saw a woman in public. <laughs> Super religious Pharisee sect would shut their eyes while in public. So Jesus was violating a tradition and violating something here that was a cultural norm. He was breaking through a barrier. And then her character. She was an immoral woman. She'd been passed around from husband to husband to husband to husband. And pr 
probably this is the reason why she came at noon. She was trying to avoid all the attention that she would have if she came early in the morning or late at night when the sun wasn't high in the sky. And so Jesus, what does he do? He engages her in conversation. He closes the distance. He closes the gap. He, he breaks through the barrier. Look at verse 7. He says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, I want you to notice this. Jesus doesn't introduce himself. Hey, I'm the Messiah. I'd like you to come and believe in me. He actually starts, he initiates something, not with announcing who he is, but with, with asking her for something. He begins with his own need, which, by the way, is an, a really good way to get to know your neighbors. Don't go to your neighbors acting like you got something for them. Go to your neighbors in a moment of vulnerability and say, hey, as you can see, my yard's awful, but your yard looks awesome. <laughs> Could you help me with my yard? Jesus begins by asking her for something. That's his initiation. As he goes through this conversation, that's where he starts. Now I want to ask you a question. Who in your life is your Samaritan woman? Who do you have a divide with? Who are you afraid of even having a conversation with or who are you afraid of getting to know? Who do you resist? All over our city, we're an eclectic group. Could be African Americans, Hispanics, Asians, white. Are you afraid to get to know feminists, liberals, conservatives? Democrats, Republicans? Who's, who's the person that you're, you have a, a barrier with and you're not willing or you haven't been willing or you've been scared? Could it be the poor? The rich? Could it be the successful? The uneducated? You have a barrier? When I, say, when I think of the uneducated, all I can see is Donald Trump saying, I love the uneducated. <laughs> it's, it, it rings hollow. There's something wrong there. <laughs> Who do you have distance with and you're unwilling to associate with? A person of a different sexual orientation than you? an immoral coworker who works in the in the in the desk next to you the judgmental the agnostic who do you avoid because of race gender or moral standing who do you avoid here's what i think i think we need to live in a city where people are grateful when a christian moves into their neighborhood. I'm not sure we have that yet. But what we need to do, One Chapel, is we need to be the kind of people that carry the reputation. When, when, there's a, 
when we move into a neighborhood, people that might be grateful. Oh, good, a Christian is moving in the neighborhood. We know we'll be carefully um, loved and cared for. We'll be defended if anybody comes against us. We'll be embraced and not resisted. We won't be judged. We will be loved. That's the reputation that God wants his people to have. That's what loving your neighbor as yourself is about. It's being willing to break through the barrier. Imagine a city where that could be the case. One of my favorite examples of breaking through barriers happened several years ago, about 20 some years ago, with a lady named Alice Frazier. Alice Frazier lived in the projects of, of Washington, D.C., and the Queen of England was on a visit to our nation. And with Barbara Bush, they were going around and visiting some of these places that were experiencing renewal. And so, so they came to Alice Frazier's little tiny Section 8 apartment. And as the queen came in, Alice Frazier, a, a, a wonderful, sweet African-American woman, she just grabbed the queen and hugged her. <laughs> and the queen just, just, it was really awkward hug. I think we have a picture of it here. It's super awkward. The, the queen is not hugging. <laughs> Queens do not hug. They don't do hugs. Queens don't do hug, but Alice, she knew they were coming. She prepared everything. There was a big story about how the queen didn't want any potato salad, <laughs> but she got a hug. And Alice actually said, well, she was coming to my palace. She was coming to my palace, so she's going to get a hug. She, 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 she broke through the barrier this really, I mean, well-known barrier. Now, let me ask you this. Did it hurt the queen? People everywhere talked about this for a long time. Did it hurt Alice? Did anything, did anything happen? No, nothing happened except a bunch of newspapers were sold. Everybody got a good chuckle about this woman hugging the queen. Sometimes we're a lot, we're so fearful and it's not dangerous. But look, here's the point I want you to get. With Jesus, the king hugs everyone. With Jesus Christ, the king, in Christianity, the king hugs everybody. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where you've come from. Doesn't matter what's going on in your life. The king hugs everyone. To love our neighbors as ourselves, we must boldly break the barriers of prejudice that paralyze us. Let's continue the story in verse 10, chapter 4. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, I, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I want you to notice she was curious about what Jesus was talking about. 
Why? Why was she curious? Because she had a need. She didn't want to keep coming here to draw water. Number two, like Jesus, we must skillfully use earthly issues to discuss eternal concerns. We got to get more skillful in the way that we deal with what's going on around us. Using earthly issues to talk about spiritual and eternal concerns. Let me make two observations here. Number one, Jesus meets this woman right where she is. She's there to get water. They've never met before, and there's no indication of previous contact, but both are at the well to drink water. By talking about a common earthly interest, Jesus piques her attention, her curiosity. Secondly, Jesus comes prepared to share even though he's tired. He's prepared to share even though he's really tired. He seems to be always ready to engage in conversation. He seems always willing to love people right where they are with the truth. I don't know about you, but sometimes, many times, I'll come home after a really long day and I've been dealing with people in need all day. And the last thing I want to do is deal with another person in need where I live. <laughs> I don't want to go across the lawn and say hi and stand there for a few minutes. Listen, Jesus initiated something here. And he, and he invited the conversation. And the question is, even though he was tired, even though he was on a long journey, even though he sat down by that well and was thirsty and tired, he engaged the conversation because he was about the business of his father. Are we ready? Are you ready to share at any moment? Do we show interest to address people's earthly concerns? Are we willing to engage conversation about anything for the sake of what Jesus might be doing? Are we prepared to share? Are we thinking about ways to connect earthly and eternal concerns? Do we seek to find the all-important common ground? Common ground of school, marketplace, sports teams, neighborhoods, social clubs. To love our neighbors as ourselves, we must skillfully use earthly issues to discuss eternal concerns. I think it's challenging. I want to challenge you to read a little more about things. Be involved in what's going on in your neighborhood. Be, be aware of what people are concerned about. Be well-read. Be a person that knows what's going on in the world. Be a person who reads um, um, consistently. Leaders are readers, and you're all called to be a leader, Amen. every one of you. I want to recommend a book to you that will help you engage with people in conversation. It's called The Reason for God. The Reason for God. Tim Keller is the writer of this book. The author is a brilliant pastor and a, an apologist, theologian, and he writes it because he's trying to help Christians understand that it is not unreasonable to believe what you believe. 
And so he comes at every question that people have about God or about the Bible, and he comes at it from a place of logic first rather than a place of theology. Because when you're talking to people who don't care about the Bible, don't believe in anything you believe in, you can't come at it from the place of theology and the Bible. You've got to come from it from another angle. And he helps us figure that out. So I want you to think about that. I want you to, I want you to do things like that to arm yourself because Jesus skillfully used this earthly issue to discuss the eternal concern. John 4, she, like the story continues in verse 16. He told her, go call your husband and come back, and I'll tell you all about the living water. <laughs> I, <laughs> go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands. You've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is true. Number three, we must, like Jesus, gently acknowledge their need. Jesus reads her mail. <laughs> not her actual mail. Don't do that to your neighbor. That's, not, that's a bad thing to do. That's a federal offense. But, he, but, the, but the, the Holy Spirit who lives within him... He begins to understand what's going on in this woman's life. He sees it. And that will happen. That can happen to you. To you as you're interacting with neighbors. You can get an understanding. You can see the picture of their need. Now let's make a couple of more important observations here. Jesus doesn't condemn her. He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't go too far. Rather, Jesus is honest. Everybody say honest. He's honest and courageous with the greatest amount of gentleness. As he is, he leads her to not only, he not only acknowledges her need, he leads her to begin to acknowledge and recognize her deepest need. Interestingly enough, God speaks, Jesus himself speaks just a few verses earlier about God's endless supply of living water. But here in this verse, Jesus highlights the woman's deepest inadequacy. Where does the water go? It's got to go to the deepest need. But what's his motive is the question. What's his motive? You, you, know, the, you know the Bible verse, John 3.16? John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe and him would not perish or die, but would have eternal life. You know what John 3.17 is? It's a less quoted verse, far less often, but needs to be more quoted because it says, for God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world, but to rescue the world. That's what God's doing. He's rescuing people. He's not going to condemn them. So let me ask you a sincere question about your life, about my life. Do we love enough to help people discover how needy they really are? Do we love them enough to help people discover their need? This is what Jesus did. I had a small group, one of my, my first small group at one chapel. Six years ago, we started a, this small group of guys before we even launched as a church, and we and we sat and we, we discussed things about God because a couple of the guys were agnostics. 
and we just we just went through this process and 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 discussed a book and and shared ideas and talked back and forth and one of the guys said to me about halfway through the semester he said I've never had a pastor or a Christian of any kind have these kinds of discussions with me so that I could pursue my doubts That's a bad reputation for Christians. We need to be available and able to let people pursue their doubts and talk about their questions without shutting them down. We need to have the conversation. But to have the conversation, there's a, we got we to gotta meet them at their place of need. That guy's need was to talk about it, to share the hidden questions to love our neighbors as ourselves, we must gently acknowledge their need. Number four, like Jesus, we must continue the conversation. <laughs> continue the conversation. John four nineteen. sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. <laughs> this is what she says. In other words, here's what she says. Hey, mister, you're pretty observant. And you may have some extraordinary gifts but you're getting just a little too close. This is making me feel a little uncomfortable and nervous. So let's change the subject. I'd rather talk about other things. But look how Jesus replies. He does, he's not put off. He's not deterred because the stakes are too high. Look what he says in verse 21. He says, Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Look, there it is. He's saying, look, Samaritans worship what they don't know, right? Half, oh, they only have half the Torah. They, 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 they worship with a different temple worship perspective, but we worship what we do know because they had the whole Torah. They had the perspective. For salvation is from the Jews, meaning salvation through the Messiah is coming through God's people, the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus understands. He knows that people under conviction will have a tendency to chase rabbits. Just go, I don't, I don't want to talk about this. I want to talk about something else. And look, look, honestly, when you start talking about Jesus with people, very often they're going to start talking about things like, well, what about the flood? Come on, the flood can't be real, right? I mean, do you really believe in a literal Bible, like, I mean, can this really be right? I mean, it's got some weird stuff in it. They're going to talk about all these side issues. They're going to try to talk about these things. And listen, you need to know about those things enough to be able to talk about them. Read a book. Be aware. Be aware. And so the issues at stake are so important we need to be willing to continue the conversation. I want you to notice that Jesus didn't go for the, the first introduction, right? As I said, he, but he went the long way around. He starts with a drink. Can I have a drink? And then he goes all the way around in this discussion. Tell me about your husband. And then he goes even further around. You want to talk about theology? Okay, let's talk about it. Here's the way it looks to me. Samaritans believe this. Jews believe this. But here's what I think is coming. He was willing to engage with her in conversation, all she wanted. 
And so you have to understand that you might be in a very long conversation with your neighbor or with the person at, at school. Or what, I mean, it may, be, it, it may not be able to be one conversation like this. I mean, after all, he was Jesus. You're not him. But you can be like him. And sometimes what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to let the conversation pause. Don't press. Don't push. Just be willing to stand firm and be honest to lead with vulnerability and to allow for there to be a process and a conversation that's long enough to get to a place where there may be a breakthrough. Because to love our neighbors as ourselves, we must continue the conversation. And let me say this, you can love people you disagree with. It is foolishness to think that people can't love someone they disagree with. I mean, if you've ever raised teenagers, then you know it can't be true. So don't let anybody talk you into that. Just because you disagree with them doesn't mean that you can't love them. Number five, like Jesus, we must graciously give the only answer that satisfies our thirst. We must graciously give the only answer that satisfies our thirst. Look what he says in verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Notice what happens here. He doesn't tell her. He doesn't tell her. She discovers it. She asks about it. Are you willing to have the conversation long enough for them to ask about it? That's the, really, that's the big question. Let them be interested. And then he confirms it. He says, yeah, that's me. That's me. The only sufficient answer that would satisfy the woman is Jesus himself. And I think what we see here is a powerful idea. What was the result of this conversation? Number one, she believes she believes. Look at verse 28 and 29. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Notice, notice, look at me. She doesn't say, come see a guy that was really smart in theology. He said, she said, come and see a man who saw me for who I was, who knows about me but who still loves me. Come see a man who spoke into my life in a way that I've never experienced before. Come and see this man. And then secondly, many Samaritans believe. Not only does she believe, but many Samaritans believe. Look, 39, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. We have no idea what's going on in a person's life or who they know or who they influence. We have no idea how that's going to work. But when you reach a person who's beyond your comfort zone or you break through the barrier, you have no idea what's on the other side of that barrier. What could happen? So let's finish out this story. If you look at John 4, 27 through 42, here's what it says. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. 
because he's breaking the rules. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? <laughs> disciples, they're not getting it. Jesus is saying, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus is giving us insight into how fulfilling, how amazing it is to speak into someone's life and to see God do something beyond our capacity or ability. It's food that will sustain you spiritually. He says, he says, do, do, not, do you not say in verse 35, four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Number six, like Jesus, we must open our eyes to see the fields ripe for harvest. One last question. Do you know how thirsty people really are? How dissatisfied they really are? Their lips are chapped and parched. Their tongues stick to the roof of their mouth. Their souls are running on empty. Their spirits are dehydrating, looking for something to satisfy. And God's called you and me to lead them to living water. I believe, here's what I believe. I believe thousands of people are ready to respond to someone who will break the barrier. I believe thousands of people in our city, in our region, 30,000 people, 40,000, 50,000. You think about 50,000 people, that's, that's just the number of people who are moving here this year. 50,000 people probably ready to respond to the gospel if only someone would be kind to them, be attentive to where they are, would speak into their lives, would be willing to answer a question. But you gotta, you gotta know them. You gotta engage with them. You gotta be willing to initiate. You gotta be prepared. And I wanna challenge you to do these things. Look at the, open your eyes, lift your eyes to see what is in front of you. Continue praying for your neighbors by name. You have a prayer card. If you don't have a prayer card, you can go online at onechapel.com and print one out. You can, you can write down all your neighbors' names on that, that prayer card, and you can pray for them. Keep building the bridges of friendship and bless them. Last week, we talked about blessing people and what that means to us. That's right on the website right here at onechapel.com. Prepare for living water conversations. Invite someone who may be ready. Invite someone who may be ready to come to church with you for Easter. You just, you just never know. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to bow your heads right now. I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you in this moment. I'm going to pray over us. Because some of you are here and your faith has been, your own faith in Jesus has gotten really dry. Your own faith in Jesus has suddenly just seems parched. You, you don't have living water flowing through you and you need living water today that you're that you as a Christian need to drink from the river of life from Jesus himself and he wants to pour that into you and I'll tell you one of the things that causes the living water to start running is to be willing to be attentive to others to love him 
with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. That'll get the water running. Some of you need to do that today. But there's others of you in the room that I think will, will realize that there's something here that you don't even know about or, or something that you've just been without for a very long time. Whether it's the first time you've realized that Jesus himself is interested in a dialogue and a conversation with you, that he is relational in every way, that he wants to engage with your life, whether it's the first time you're really realizing that here in this, in this service, you just feel him calling you. Maybe it's the first time in a long time. <laughs> and you need to come back to him. Maybe you were invited to church today. Maybe, maybe you're just here because you're desperate, because things are a mess like this woman, like this Samaritan woman. Her life was a mess and you need Jesus to come. I don't want you to hesitate. I'm not gonna embarrass you, I'm not gonna call you forward, but I want to ask you to respond to his word to you and you respond to his love. So if you want, if any of that describes you, if you want me to pray for you, you just shoot your hand up in the air and say, yep, pastor, that's me, pray for me. I need Jesus this morning. Yep, way in the back, who else? Who else? I need Jesus, yeah, brother, that's so good, so important. That is so right. You just don't wrestle. Don't wrestle. Just say, yep, pastor, please pray for me. It's like you're making a stake in the ground and saying, okay, this is, this is the end of all that for me. I'm ready to move forward. Like this woman whose life was a mess, there's a fresh new start today if you want it. Anybody else? Who else? Yeah, good decision, brother. Good decision. Anybody else? This is your moment. You just feel like you're without something and you need living water. Anybody else? Yeah, it's good. So good. All right, now just close your eyes. I want you to, I want you to just focus on Jesus. It's not really about the words. It's about what goes on in your heart. So I want you to pray with me. And I'll pray and you pray under your breath or you just pray with me in the words that I'm using. So, Father, as we come to you, we come, we want to repent of our sins. We're sorry for making a mess of our lives and insisting on our own way. We're, Lord, forgive us for making this mess. We want to turn to you today for living water. Lord, would you come with your, with your living water and pour it into our thirsty souls, Lord. Come with your living grace and just pour it over the dry, cracked ground and the disappointment and the struggle and the fear. Lord, would you come and would you wash all of it away and, and, and cleanse our lives from every failure, every foolish act, every sinful deed, every, every issue. Forgive us for resisting you and keeping you at arm's length, Lord. Thank you for crossing the barrier of sin and coming into our world and saying, I love you. Thank you, Jesus, for, for piercing the barrier of my sin, pouring your love into our lives. Lord, we, we ask for a fresh start today. We ask for a new beginning, and we ask for the water to flow in us 
for the water, the river of life to flow in our lives and then let it flow out of our lives into others. Help every one of us, Lord, to become the people you want us to be, to be attentive to others, to love others right where they are and to wrap our arms around them like Alice Frazier and just, just hug them and, and, and communicate the love that you have for them. I thank you for this, Lord. Teach us how to have conversations. Teach us how to speak into people's lives and how to walk with them. We, Lord, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.